0: the reading corner today I have with me Francis Durkin and Francis is the co-author of the Histronauts series and book four is about to be published it's called A Greek Adventure. We're going to delve a little bit back into time with Francis but before we do that we're sticking with the present because I want to know a little bit more about Francis Durkin. Tell us a bit about your background. Hello, Nikki, thank you for having me. Um,
1: My background, oh, well, I have a PhD in medieval history. Um, I've been working with school workshops for a very long time. I used to be a tour guide, i worked in tourism. So history was very important to me, but I think going way, way, way back, I was home educated. And so I learned a lot about history through being very hands-on, being taken to visit places, museums, and the local area really shaped my enthusiasm for it. So I'm very, very lucky to be doing mm. what I'm doing today.
0: Mm. Medieval history is uh, an interesting choice. I- I'd like to know a little bit more about what attracted you to that. Um,
1: well, as a child, my first love was Greek history. Very much so. I'm a a child of the 80s, so very heavily influenced by the work of Ray Harryhausen. And um, as a kid, I loved those movies and I loved the mythology and I was so involved in it. I read everything I could. I think I read the Iliad when I was about 10. I can't say I understood it, but I did try to plough through it. And then I grew up in Nottinghamshire. Sherwood Forest was on the doorstep, uh, Maid Married and Her Merry Men was on the telly. And I just became very, very interested. And through reading around the subject, I came across aspects of the Crusades. Um, I stumbled across what's known as the Children's Crusade and wanted to know more. And it sort of planted a seed for wanting to know why people would choose to go on crusade what influenced them to go and be involved in something so extreme and put that on the back burner went away and did a degree that majored in law Um, I wanted to work in theater and be a tv producer and eventually came back to history again and went did a master's and eventually a part-time phd so yeah I was I'm fascinated by what motivated people
0: so i'm also picking up in how you're describing yourself and your background that stories were important ways into the study of history places and stories that's what i'm getting absolutely
1: that is a very important even today i've i've got bletchley park up the road it's somewhere i regularly take my little girl we go and see father christmas there and she's you know in the heart of this historical building that she's too little to understand but it's already very familiar to her. And as she grows up, she will come to know it more. And that, mm. that makes me very happy.
0: Now, let's come to the history There are four books. This will be the fourth book. Um, and they have a unique there's a unique concept in how you're conveying this history. Let me think. We've got Romans, Vikings and ancient Egyptians. Yes, that's correct. OK, you said that you love Greeks. You'd left that one to number four. Yes. Do you know I don't even
1: know why that came about to be fourth. I think it was just on the list of what the publisher asked us to do, and we leapt at the chance to do that
0: one. So, mm. yeah. Tell us a bit about the concept and how, how you've chosen to present it. So, the Histronauts are a
1: group of children. They're four, three children and a cat. They go on adventures, and they're presented as a graphic novel. So the books are very heavily illustrated. Uh, they are co-created by myself and illustrator Grace Cook. And they, are, they simply wouldn't be what they are without the heavy illustrations. So they're beautifully done. They're designed by Vicki Barker, who is the Blue Peter Book Award winning illustrator who works with our publisher, Be Small. And they invite children into historic historical world through a lot of visual imagery that's, uh, that also has text and storylines with it as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And also the format itself is very approachable um you know, we're not into the realms of the big, heavy, you know, beautifully designed non-fiction we're into something that you could pick up with your pocket money and you could take away, as one of my friends Ben Harris says, you know, he's really keen on books that children can buy with their pocket money, and this is a book like that. it's sort of a cross between. Comic magazine book graphic novel, in a way, that was one of the early discussions we actually had about it
1: when we were when we met with B Small, um, that we wanted it to be something that a kid on a school trip in a museum gift shop could pick up and take home, and that it was inviting. The fact that we we cover a lot of information in the book, I do a lot of very detailed research,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but the first impression, the first thing those kids are going to see, is some kids a little bit like them. Who have traveled back in time and are experiencing a day in a completely alien world, but that they'll actually find actually some of it's quite familiar, and that people used to play board games and they ate things that weren't dissimilar to what we eat. Hmm. And that actually the past is an exciting place to go for an
0: adventure. Hmm. That's a really good idea. So these three children plus a cat. (laughs) They have contrasting personalities. Do you play on that and use that in, in the books? Yes, we definitely try
1: to. Uh, so, so when we're working out the storyline, I, we begin the books by going to research and Grace and I do that together. And we do that in the most visual way we can. And that takes us back to museums. Um, when we were researching the Roman book, we went to the Roman baths in Bath. When we were researching the Vikings, we went to the Yorvik Centre in York. So we immediately dive in with a very, very visual way of communicating and looking at it. <laughs> And then we work on the story and the story is where we get to work together some more and I will play around with rough ideas of what I think could happen. If we're talking about food, we know that our little boy character, Newton, he will eat anything. He will try anything, no matter how historically disgusting or unusual it sounds. He will be enthusiastic about that food. We know that Luna is the older girl who is maybe the most inquisitive and the most, uh, as the leader of the group. And then we have a little girl called Nanny, who is their friend. And she is much more, she's she's just as inquisitive, but maybe the more sensible one. And she will ask different questions. So they all bring something in together. And then where we really get to play is with the cat. Because one of the things when researching a graphic novel for children that's set in any period of history so you'll find there's certain things that you can't easily show to children or you can't even have your child characters going to do so in the in the uh, new book in a greek adventure we wanted to explore the greek games and children weren't allowed to go and watch the games so we send the cat (laughs) <laughs> and so here is this, this extraordinary sporting event in which all the men are completely naked. We can't have our children there, but we can have the cat there and we can have him wandering around ankles and experience it from a completely different viewpoint. And he always gets into trouble. He's our little um, silent movie comic character. So yeah, he, d- he certainly adds a, l-
0: adds a lot of humour in there. And I th- the other thing that having four characters does as well as breaking up chunks of information, is it allows them to comment on what's happening. So, for example, in this book, The Greek Adventure, there's a part of the story where they're sacrificing animals and they're going to have this wonderful feast afterwards. I think Nanny says, I love banquets or I love feasts and then Luna says "Mm, I'm not sure about sacrificing animals so they're able just to have these little commentaries that could then if this were to be uh, taken up in a classroom could start a discussion about that which
1: would be really good we have very deliberately tried to bring that modern voice in as well um, without trying to become too anachronistic Mm -hmm. if I can speak Um, for example a lot of the books refer to slavery and because we are not a blood guts and gore book we have not delved too deeply into that but we have made sure the information there is clear and then we get our little characters to, to have their own commentary about it as well so yeah, it is really important. And I hope as well, any kid reading it sees themselves in one of the characters, or even all of the characters, mm. and that they would like to be a part of that gang and that they want to be a not
0: too. Mm. A class of histronauts. I love that idea. So let's delve into the pages of A Greek Adventure. Now, one of the first questions that I had for you is what classes as ancient? Ah. ancient Greece because you know people often get this wrong with the Romans they talk about ancient Romans and they're not really talking about the ancient Romans (laughs) it is it is very good
1: question and and very difficult to define I mean one of the first things that I do is work out a timeline of when we're going to talk about when and when we're going to set the book and that opens doors to different levels of information So, for example, I really wanted to to work on the pyramids when we were talking about the Egyptian book. But actually, that happened a long, 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 long time ago. And in the grand scheme of things, the Valley of the Kings was a much more recent thing when the tombs were built. So we could then talk about the tombs and then refer back in time to the pyramids as opposed Mm -hmm. to talking about the pyramids and going, well, in the future, this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I set out. But yet again, defining, I look at textbooks, I refer to academic work and I see what the standard approach is for a particular timeline. And I go Mm -hmm. by go by that. Mm
0: -hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm sure many people listening in, unless they've actually studied this topic, will just conflate all those things about ancient Egypt into one thing. And I think it was happening all at the
1: same time it it covers thousands of years and as well talking about ancient greece ancient greece was a very was not just different at different times but it was different in different places Mm -hmm. so i had to make a decision early on about not just when we were going to set it but where because ancient greek athens was very different to ancient greek sparta and these different city states were they varied enormously So it was also a very conscious decision to say, we're going to set it then and we're going to set it there. And then that
0: gives us a basis for what we can build on. What makes them Greek then? Because, you know, Sparta, Athens, Corinth, city states, but still considered to be. I mean, nations didn't really exist in the same way, did they?
1: No, not in the same way at all. Um, It's a very good question. I'm not sure when we would have would have put that that label on it actually it's a really good question I'd love to come back to you about it because so much of what we talk about is retroactively imposed so we'll talk about the Tudor period but we would necessarily have called it the Tudor period or the medieval period or the first crusade at that time we tend to do that retrospectively so that's a good question and I, I don't know the answer.
0: Hey, teachers and children, you can go and research that yeah. one. That's a really interesting and thing to go. You and look know what? For. It's
1: such an important thing for children to learn to say, "I don't know." Mm. I think that is so key, and it's one of the my favourite things that I've learned because it's admitting something and it's difficult to admit you don't know, but it means you get to go and find out. And that is so exciting.
0: Yeah. Don't know doesn't mean you're stupid. I think that's the uh, really key message to get across to learners. It's the learning that's the important thing and the exciting thing. Um, And not knowing something is an opportunity. Absolutely. I completely agree. Tell us a little bit, just give us an idea of the scope of the book and the the different topics that you cover it's very wide-ranging so all of our books begin with
1: the characters traveling back in time and meeting a person and that person has been completely different in each book one of our one of the things we have always set up is the fact that we will never be we will never meet a king or a queen or a pharaoh or an emperor we will always meet an ordinary person and then we will experience part of that ordinary person's life So in A Greek Adventure, we meet a theatre prop maker at a theatre festival. So we get to explore. We begin by exploring what the theatre was like in ancient Greece and what it was there for and how it was part of religious festivals. And then we will travel with that character that we just met back into their ordinary life. So we explore the city of Athens. We explore a family home. We get to talk about food. We include some recipes. We talk about the gods. We talk about the temples. We explore more of that religious festival. So we have our one key guide, as it were, to exploring what they do in their life and and how, how they
0: live. One of the things that came through, you do have a section which is about words and language. But of course, that's threaded all the way through the book, because I think it's estimated between 6 and 12% of English words have Greek roots. And I really loved, uh, loved that. So, again, lots of opportunities to investigate etymology and where words come from, threaded all the way through uh,
1: the book. One of the things that I really do enjoy doing is including complex words. We are a mostly visual format um, and visual literacy is so important, whether children just prefer that medium, whether they feel intimidated by text, whether they love both. There's no right way or wrong way. But I I don't dumb down. I make sure if there's a really complex word in there, I can get it in. And we have a glossary at the back that tells you how to pronounce it and what it means. But, yeah, I think I love words too. And I think it's really fun to to roll them around in your mouth and sound out what they're like and, and yeah, and feel that. So, yes, language is really important. And it's not just in a Greek adventure, but also Viking and Roman, We we have the same thing. We have those words that we use on a daily basis or are the root of. And I think it's fun for kids to see that that's mm-hmm. where their words come from.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, they are the everyday words. Obviously, Greek and Latin have also heavily informed our technical and scientific, all our classifications, you know, come from that, but our everyday words too. I mean, the one that um, I I hadn't really taken on board but should have done was athlon for prize. Mm-hmm. So pentathlon and all of those athlons yeah, <laughs> coming from, and athletes or I not? I think so. Yes. Yes. I
1: believe so. Yes. and um, They would have the same roots. So yeah, it is really fun to see that. And the fact that you never stop learning. Yeah. I learned so much while researching these books. It's,
0: it's a really real
1: privilege to be able to do them. I'm very lucky.
0: I wanted to pick up on the philosophers. Most people will know Plato, Homer, Socrates, But you have included some female philosophers in there that don't get much said about them. Tell us about these two women, because actually it's a very male world, this ancient Greece. The women can't do this. They've got to eat separately from the men. They can't go to the games. Uh, And yet we do have these female philosophers Yes, there are some, it is, uh, again,
1: when I set out to do the research, and again, this was something that was important with the publisher as well, was that we would not narrow it down and do the obvious, and we would make sure that female voices were represented and that different, even different skin tones were represented within the imagery in the book so that children didn't see one flat version of what the past may have been like. Um, so yes, we have Arete of Cyrene, who uh, she taught philosophy which connected pleasure and pain to a person's actions. And then Hipparchia of Maronia, um, and she was one of the cynic philosophers who believed in living a simple life free from power and money. So they were hugely influential. They were very important. They were discussing interesting, exciting themes. And they had their students. And I think it's really important that we put them on the same page as Socrates and Plato.
0: Mm-hmm. Do we know anything about their philosophical practice? I mean, was it through dialogues? And were they involved with men in those dialogues or
1: separate? I would have to look more into that. I mean, what I have in the book is quite a brief biography. We do know that Hipparchia, she lived as an equal alongside her husband. Um, So she dressed as he did. She probably spoke to people as he did. So she was pushing boundaries and and doing something that was different and unexpected.
0: And I think Mm. that's really, really crucial to see. Mm. You said uh, earlier on that, you do a lot of research. Um, you, you've talked about visiting places as part of that research. What discoveries did you make that maybe didn't make it into the book, but fascinated you? Oh,
1: there's so much. One of the hardest things to put into the books is when you come across something that, that just isn't appropriate. for for children's books. I think we include the the Minotaur story in A Greek Adventure. And I had no idea about the origins of the Minotaur story. And that is not suitable for children at all. If anyone's listening, go away and look at the other Icarus story and don't share it with your kids. Um, So I think the thing I love learning the most is things that I thought I knew but didn't. Things that Mm. you take for granted. I think as a child, I was led to believe that the pyramids were built by slaves. And that's not accepted anymore. It's now accepted. The people who built the pyramids were people who were, It was they were farmers and they would work on the off season when they weren't working on their farm or their other jobs, they would work on the pyramids. And just in the fact that what in 30 years of research since so I was learning about that as a child, that has completely changed. Mm-hmm. And I find that really fascinating. But mm-hmm. we try to cram in as much as we possibly can, possibly into the books in those 80 pages um, but yes things do get left out but we're lucky that we tend to be able to put those
0: into extra mm. teaching notes and educational bits as well teaching notes it's always good to take note of that another those on the small b website or on your own
1: website i know the ones for a greek adventure were tweeted out yesterday so i would imagine that those are
0: on the b small website now one final question just because i want to know I loved Greek myths and legends when I was a child and I always imagined myself as a particular goddess. So you can be a god or a goddess, I don't mind which it is, but which one would you choose to be? Oh, it's definitely Athena. Me too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) For a start, it comes back to that childhood fascination with Ray Harryhausen. I mean, she's she's the one who creates a little mechanical owl. I mean, that's when you're eight years old. That is amazing. And yes, she's the goddess of wisdom. She's got the best origin story that she was born from her father's headache. That's amazing. (laughs) She's definitely my favourite.
0: All goddesses should be their father's headache, in my opinion. (laughs) Do you know, it's been such a delight talking to you. Thank you so much for taking us deeper into the world of the histronauts. I can't wait to see what comes next. Nikki, thank (laughs) you so, so much.
1: In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.